0: This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Today on Finding Center, the theme is God's Eternal Game Plan. In the first half, E.J. Cafaro shares his address, our personal game plan. Then in the second half, Joan W. Young speaks on seeing as far as forever.
1: My dear brothers and sisters, I am honored and humbled to stand before you this day I appreciate the privilege to speak to you about the gospel of Jesus Christ in our lives. We are blessed to be here at Brigham Young University. It is the Lord's University, and at this season, we are very fortunate to be a part of this campus life. I am a benefactor of the BYU experience. When I arrived on campus many years ago, I did not realize then how my time here would influence my future. After my mission, my spiritual foundation was firm. Brigham Young University continued to build upon that foundation. It added the walls and the roof, which in turn created a gospel home for me and my family. I will always be thankful for my experience here. Well, it is the first week of summer term. In fact, it is only the second day of classes. The good news is is that you can't be more than two days behind in any of your assignments. As you can tell from my biography, I've always been involved in athletics in one aspect or another. I have participated as an athlete, I have coached, and I'm currently serving in athletic administration. Athletics has been a major part of my life. I guess one of the main reasons why I take pleasure in athletics is because it closely parallels the game of life. The lessons I have learned through my involvement in athletics have guided me through life's challenges and successes. Allow me to use some comparisons to illustrate my point. In athletics, one competes against an opponent. The challenger may be the opposing team, yourself, or the clock. In life, we have the adversary as our opponent. He creates temptations and discourages us when we are trying our best. In athletics, one has a head coach, assistant coaches, trainers, strength coaches, and academic advisors. In life, we have parents, teachers, counselors, church leaders, and the head coach, the Lord Jesus Christ. In athletics, one competes to be challenged or to win an award, a trophy, ring, or ribbon. In life, we compete for educational pursuits, employment, and worldly possessions. We are also striving to live the commandments for our celestial reward. In athletics, during a competition, there are momentum changes. One moment, you are up by 12. Then, minutes later, you could be down by two. In life, we have peaks and valleys. We experience trials, heartaches, and sadness. We also experience peace, success, happiness, and joy. In athletics, there is pressure to perform in front of a stadium full of fans or spectators. In life, we feel pressure to act in front of friends, family, and associates. In athletics, the game may dictate the proper way to manage the clock. In life, we are often faced with pressures to manage our time wisely and prioritize the task at hand. In athletics, one learns to deal with physical endurance, conditioning, practice, and injuries. In life, we learn to deal with perseverance, patience, long-suffering, and illness. We are taught to endure to the end. And lastly, in athletics, one has personal goals, team goals, strategies, scouting reports, and game plans. In life, we have goals, plans, aspirations, and dreams. Both in athletics and in life, one of the most important things we can do is to acquire and learn our personal game plan. Did you begin this summer term at Brigham Young University with a game plan? If so, what is your plan? Is your plan to be popular, have the nicest car, get a high grade point average, become the first chair in the orchestra, gain a lead role in a play, join a club or two, and attend all your classes and hand in all your assignments on time? Allow me to ask you this question. What do you think your parents game plan is for you? Let me give you a few ideas having been a parent for over 20 years. I'm sure they want you to do well in your classes, serve a mission, graduate from college, find a good spouse and seal your love in one of God's holy temples, have a great family, secure good employment, be a productive citizen, and of course, live happily ever after. Have you adopted any of those strategies into your game plan? Let me ask you another question. What is your Heavenly Father's game plan for us? I am sure he would like you to implement some of your goals and some from your parents, but his game plan for us is found in Moses chapter 1. For behold, this is my work and my glory to bring the past, the immortality, and eternal life of man. Now that is a game plan. It appears to me our Father in Heaven has high expectations for all of us. Have we embraced those goals? As you begin to formulate your personal game plan, can I give you one piece of advice? Please acquire some strategies from those that love you. Sometimes those that love us may not always present these methods in the right moment or in the right tone but we must use good discretion when receiving this advice. Those that love us are not perfect, but most times the advice they give us is. In the short time that I have with you, I would like to share with you four essential strategies for a successful game plan. I am sure these will not be new to you or me, but they will be presented as the Spirit has dictated. Let us turn to the scriptures to discuss the first essential element. Lehi, a father and a prophet, speaks to his son Jacob and states in 2 Nephi chapter 2 that men and women are that they might have joy. So we are here upon this earth that we might have joy. We are here to experience the good things of this life. I think every one of us needs to profit from this blessed feeling. How do we receive this joy? As Nephi, a brother, "'Husband, Father, and Prophet,' states in 2 Nephi chapter 5, "'And we did observe to keep the judgments and the statues and the commandments of the Lord in all things, "'and the Lord was with us, and we did prosper exceedingly. "'We receive this joy through keeping God's commandments. "'As we keep his commandments, we feel true joy, "'and we prosper both temporally and spiritually.'" King Benjamin said in Mosiah chapter 2, "And moreover I would desire that ye should consider on the blessed and happy state of those that keep the commandments of God; for behold they are blessed in all things, both temporal and spiritual." As I think about some of my favorite places on this earth, I enjoy being in the mountains. I like hiking over the Teton Mountains on the Idaho Wyoming border. The journey is a breathless experience. To hike from Driggs, Idaho to Jenny Lake, Wyoming is about 21 miles. The goal is to make it over to the other side in time to catch the last ferry across Jenny Lake. If you miss the ferry, you have to walk an additional two miles around the lake to reach your final destination. After walking 21 miles in one day, you can't bear the thought of walking an additional two miles. Crossing that terrain without a map would be a foolish adventure. Even with a map, you can lose your way if the map isn't followed properly. As you obey the map, you find your way to your journey's end. If your final destination is catching the last ferry boat leaving the dock that day, and believe me, you do, your joy is full. Commandments are our map. They are what we must follow in this game of life. They give us directions, guidelines, and a course of action. Obedience to this path will bring us to our eternal destination. In my patriarchal blessing, it states that commandments are nothing more than wise instructions from a loving father. May I say it again? Commandments are nothing more than wise instructions from a loving father. He knows and cares for our earthly existence and wants more than we know for us to return back to his presence. What a reunion that will be. What joy can be greater than making it back to the Father who created us. He sent us off to school to learn the lessons of life, and he wants us back home. In athletics, we work out our physical bodies in order to compete at the highest level. In life, we need to exercise our spiritual muscles. This will give us the strength to overcome temptations and obey the commandments. We need to compete against our physical and spiritual opponent, the wiles of the devil. To secure assistance in obeying the commandments, I firmly believe in the second essential element of your game plan, that of personal prayer. Communication with our Father in heaven is vital for so many aspects in our lives, especially the spiritual one. In Alma chapter 37, it states, Counsel with the Lord in all thy doings, and he will direct thee for good. Yea, when thou liest down at night, lie down unto the Lord, that he may watch over you in your sleep. And when thou risest in the morning, let thy heart be full of thanks unto God. And if you do these things, ye shall be lifted up at the last day. Good advice from someone who loves us. Most of us would find it very difficult to set an appointment with some of our most prominent leaders in this world. It commonly requires days, weeks, and sometimes months to schedule an appointment with anyone that has some type of professional title. I suffer from a condition called gout. One February, not so long ago, I experienced a major attack. I wanted immediate medical attention to receive some type of relief. The earliest appointment the specialist secretary could make for me was August of that same year, seven months later. The greatest aspect of prayer for me is that we can speak to the highest-ranked individual in this universe, God, our Heavenly Father, at any time and in any place we so desire. There is no need for an appointment. He is always there and always listening. And most importantly, he is always giving us answers to our supplications. May I repeat, you'd need no appointment. Elder Richard G. Scott stated, quote, Prayer is a supernal gift of our Father in heaven to every soul. Think of it. The absolute supreme being, the most all knowing, all seeing, all powerful personage, encourages you and me, as insignificant as we are, to converse with Him as our Father. Most people, young and old, have experienced the wonderful electronic device called the cell phone. You know how frustrating it is when calls are ignored or not answered. Our Father in Heaven always answers our calls. Our reception or signal is always in range. Our prayer plan consists of unlimited minutes. I would like to share with you a personal experience about prayer that took place while I was in my youth. The setting was my junior year in high school. I was making plans with my friends to attend the junior prom. We already had in mind what we were going to do before and during the prom, but we had not finalized plans for after the prom. It was common, growing up on the East Coast, to drive down to the New Jersey shore and spend the night on the beach as an after-the-prom activity. We had the location mapped out and the cars and drivers prepared to make the trip. As the date approached, I thought it would be a good idea to run these plans by my mother. I explained to her what we had planned to do after the prom. She can see that I was filled with enthusiasm, but said with no hesitation, I don't think it's a good idea that you go. I said, what? I have waited 17 years for this event to take place in my life. I am going to the New Jersey shore. She replied, I don't think it's a good idea, but can you do me a favor and pray about it? I said, pray about it? Why would Heavenly Father care if I go to the beach after the prom? My mother asked me once again to pray about it. I said, "Okay," and I thought to myself, well, this will be easy. I will go downstairs to my room and listen to my music. I will then go back upstairs and tell my mother that Heavenly Father said it's okay to go. (laughs) So I went downstairs, turned on the music, put on my headphones, and I began to relax. Halfway through the song, I began to feel a little guilty. I turned off the music and sat there for a moment, pondering the conversation I had with my mother. I dropped to my knees on the side of my bed and began to pray. I did not know exactly why I was praying, only that I told my mother that I would. I told Heavenly Father about my prom plans. I then asked if he approved of them. I didn't feel very comfortable with the stupor of thought passing through my mind. I prayed more intently to get the answer I was seeking. I felt like Heavenly Father was saying no. I could not understand what was happening to me and my plans. For some reason, this was not turning out like I had wanted. I began to ask why. Why no? Why not? The words came to me that I should read Isaiah, chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. Isaiah? What does Isaiah know about the junior prom? (laughs) I opened up my Bible and read, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Wow, I thought to myself, I have just received personal revelation through prayer. It was not exactly the answer I was looking for, but I had just received an answer. I went upstairs and rehearsed the whole experience to my mother. She smiled and gave me the look only a mother can give. Not one major tragedy happened that night, but several small ones. Mostly everyone was drinking alcohol and using drugs. Immorality was commonplace amongst my friends. It was not the atmosphere I needed to be in that night. But the most important event was that a 17-year-old boy received an answer to his prayers and gained more faith in his Heavenly Father's game plan. Before departing the mission field, I had my final interview with my mission president, Robert A. Harding. He said to me that if you want to maintain your spiritual balance in this life, Make sure you have frequent and fervent prayers. Another church leader concerned about my game plan. The third essential element that is necessary for your personal strategy is dedicating your time to the scriptures. In the Book of Mormon, 2 Nephi, chapter 4, Nephi states, For my soul delighteth in the scriptures, and my heart pondereth them, and writeth them for the learning and the profit of my children. My brothers and sisters, history does repeat itself. We can learn from the past. The scriptures are the greatest playbooks ever written. Just as a coach gives direction to his team, the scriptures warn us and motivate us to live our lives carefully and in harmony with gospel principles. The scriptures provide us answers for our temporal and spiritual well-being. The Spirit will inspire and convert our hearts and testimonies at different moments in our lives. Most of the time, He will do it while we are pondering or studying the Scriptures. The Scriptures take on new meaning at different stages in our lives. The same verse can broaden our insight with new messages that differ from many years before. As a young father, I struggled to keep our family consistent reading the Scriptures on a daily basis. One day I heard a mother of a new missionary give a talk in sacrament meeting. She asked her son before he departed on his mission, what was the most important thing he learned in the family. He said, Mom, it was our family getting together every morning and reading the scriptures. Those were the best lessons I learned. This mother was astonished at his answer. She only remembered him coming to family scripture reading every morning, half asleep, with his blanket pulled over his head. She gained a testimony that day, as did I, that the scriptures have tremendous spiritual power and influence over those who spend the time pondering, studying, and reading them. In her First Presidency message in 1976, President Spencer W. Kimball said, quote, I am convinced that each of us, at least sometime in our lives, must discover the scriptures, for ourselves, and not just discover them once, but rediscover them again and again. The Lord is not trifling with us when he gives us these things. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required. Access to these things means responsibility for them. We must study the scriptures according to the Lord's commandment, and we must let them govern our lives, Close quote. I would like to conclude with the last essential element. Before we participate in athletics or a competition, we generally use some type of uniform, gear, or equipment. In Ephesians chapter 6, it reads, Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now listen to this. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Sometimes it is hard enough to compete against an opponent that we can see. I believe it is even more difficult to compete against the adversary, one who we don't see. We need to protect ourselves and be prepared to compete and to battle our nemesis. Elder M. Russell Ballard stated, Quote, I like to think of this spiritual armor not as a solid piece of metal molded to fit the body, but more like chain mail. chain mail. consists of dozens of tiny pieces of steel fastened together to allow their user greater flexibility without losing protection. I say that because it has been my experience that there is not one great and grand thing we can do to arm ourselves spiritually. True spiritual power lies in numerous smaller acts, woven together in a fabric of spiritual fortification that protects us and shields us from all evil. Close quote. To me, that is another great apostle of the Lord shouting out signals from the sidelines. Allow me to use one last personal story. As a young man, I had great dreams of one day playing college football and also playing in the National Football League. I set high goals and expectations for myself to achieve while in high school. I remember going the extra mile during the off-season so that I could compete and perform at my highest level. The football season did not go so well. At the end of the season, our team won only 2 games. After the last game of the year, I walked off the field with my head down. I was discouraged and rightly so. My mother spotted me from a distance and noticed the disappointment in my body language. She came over to me as I tried to walk away from her. She asked me what was wrong. I said, I am so frustrated. I have worked so hard to make myself better and we can't win more than two games. I feel like a loser. She said to me in that moment, words that changed my life for good. She said, Son, I know that you're disappointed in the results of your team. I know you've put forth much effort in your preparation to be successful. But I promise you, because you have the gospel in your life, you are on the Lord's team. And if you keep his commandments, you will be a winner in this life. Those words have resonated with me and have echoed in my mind for the last 30 years. Just one more example of one who loves me and gave me direction in a time of need. In the words of Elder Neil A. Maxwell, quote, Actually, brothers and sisters, Jesus is already victorious in the greatest battle anyway. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Moreover, Though we live in a failing world, we have not been sent here to fail. Close quote. The battle has been won. We know the final outcome. We need to choose whose team we want to be on. In Joshua chapter 24, it states, Choose ye this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The prophet Joseph Smith was an outstanding coach. He said in the Doctrine and Covenants, section 128, Brethren and sisters, shall we not go on in so great a cause? Go forward and not backward. Courage, brethren, and on, on to the victory. My dear brothers and sisters, know what your personal game plan is for today and for your future. Incorporate these strategies into your lives. Keep the commandments. Have frequent and fervent prayer. Be inspired by the scriptures. And protect yourself from the adversary. I know we have a Redeemer and a Savior. He stands at the head of this church. He knows us personally and loves us individually. He is Jesus Christ the Son of the living God. In His holy name, even Jesus Christ. Amen.
0: You've been listening to Finding Center. Our theme today is God's Eternal Game Plan. We've just heard from E.J. Caffero. After the break, we'll return with Joan W. Young for Seeing as Far as Forever. This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Our theme today is God's Eternal Game Plan. Next is Joan W. Young, Director of the Marriott School's Undergraduate Management Program at BYU at the time of this address, titled, Seeing as Far as Forever.
2: I must tell you that the invitation to speak today came as a great surprise to me. As I have pondered what I could say, I have asked myself, What about my life could be of value to you? How do we all strive together to set and obtain meaningful goals? And how can we meet the challenges of this life and return to live with our Father in Heaven? I pray that as we share this time together you can gain something from the experiences and support I have personally relied upon in my journey. As a child, I loved to read and daydream. Sometimes I would daydream about things I read, but often I would just daydream about who I was and who I wanted to be. My favorite place for both of these activities was on the roof of a building that was used as a storage cellar by our family. I would climb up a plum tree next to the cellar with book in hand, then from its branches scramble onto the cellar roof, gingerly work my way over the peak, and settle on the other side under the enveloping leaves of my favorite apple tree. From there, I could see forever, and it wasn't hard to imagine that I could be Glinda the Good Witch in the Land of Oz or Nancy Drew spying on some shady characters up to no good. Unseen, I could also watch my father fixing sprinkler pipes or trimming trees and see my mother with her hoe banishing the weeds from the flower beds or hanging fresh wash on the clothesline. Even during my early teenage years I would escape to this secret world. However, by this age more time was spent thinking about reachable goals and less about fantasies. It was also here that I said many prayers and had intimate conversations with my Father in Heaven. I remember once puzzling out loud to Him, I try so hard to be good Why do I seem to get into so much trouble? What I didn't seem to grasp was that while uttering this prayer, I was sitting on the cellar roof that I had been banned from more than once. (laughs) Even though I tried to be good, I had trouble sometimes understanding the meaning of the word no, and I don't think that's changed. Fortunately, these early years of my life did much through fantasies, dreams, wishes, prayers, and plans to develop in me an understanding of the importance of goals and the value of a plan to reach those goals. As I have spent time raising children, teaching, coaching, advising, and counseling, I have learned some important lessons that I would like to share with you today. The first and critical step— to setting and reaching goals is to know who you are. I have had many affirmations of this important principle. After almost 20 years as a stay-at-home mom, I went back to school to earn my teaching certificate. With certificate in hand, I was excited to be offered a job at East High School in Salt Lake. The only catch was that in addition to teaching English and history, I was assigned to coach swimming. Fortunately for me, I had learned a little from my children who were competitive swimmers. We also had some great swimmers on the team, and I had excellent assistants. It was not long before we had one of the top teams in the state. In the process, I learned a lot about what motivates an athlete to perform well and how to help a swimmer set goals and focus on reaching those goals. At the same time that the swim team was having astonishing success, the East High School football team was struggling. At the end of the 1989 season, they had the dubious reputation of the longest losing streak west of the Mississippi. (laughs) USA Today reporters amazingly appeared at these high school games, covering the record-breaking streak. After being defeated the first game of the 1990 season, the team had a 30-game losing streak and had not won a game in four years. The head football coach came to me after this first game in what I sensed was a state of desperation and asked if I would accept a position as a varsity football coach for the rest of the season. I must explain that I did have some experience with football. My father was a football player and coached at Provo High School during my growing up years. I had spent time scouting teams with him, watching and loving football. However, never on the cellar roof of my youth had I ever dreamed or imagined I would someday be coaching football. My coaching responsibilities were to work with the kickers and the special teams, keep the players motivated and focused during practice, and give the pep talk to the team before the game. I quickly became acquainted with the players on those long, hot August afternoons as we worked hard during the two weeks until our next game. I clocked hang time on punts, held the ball for place kickers, and dodged errant tackles. A smile here, a cheer there, a forceful pat on the shoulder pad, and sometimes a symbolic kick in the pants were common. (laughs) I also encouraged the players to help each other. Some of the defensive linemen would show up early on Saturday mornings to shag balls as the kickers practiced before the team meeting. Soon these linemen were well aware when the kickers improved their distance and hang time and offered some mocking words of praise. The kickers, in turn, loudly harassed and applauded tackles and sacks. It didn't take me long to discover that these young men were not losers. They had talent, character, and determination. But for four years, they'd heard the press, fans, and friends talk about how bad East High football was, and they had come to believe it. When the moment came for me to get the team psyched for the game with West High School, our most serious rival— I didn't rant or stomp or yell to work them up. I simply shared with the players what I had learned about them in those two weeks. They were not losers. They were individually winners and had every right to go out on that field and succeed. Each one of them had a job to do, and they only needed to go out and do their part to the best of their ability in support of the entire team. I think the coaching staff was somewhat disappointed at that point and wondered why they had hired me. They had expected a high-spirited rally to arms. But I wanted something more sustainable than a pep talk. I wanted each one of them to reach inside themselves and excel. Those young men went out on the field that day and played like winners. Suddenly they were cheering each other on and smacking helmets and pads with pride— After a grueling game and four overtimes, the score was East High School 42, West High 35. The East High School football team had learned how to win, and these young men no longer questioned who they were. This experience and the rest of the season indelibly impressed on me the importance of knowing who we are and what we are capable of doing The Savior is our ultimate example. He knew what His mission was when He came to this earth, and He knew the consequences if He should fail. We should feel the same urgency in our own mission on this earth. President Joseph F. Smith in Gospel Doctrine tells us, If Christ knew His mission beforehand, so did we. But in coming here we forgot all. But by the power of the Spirit in the redemption of Christ through obedience we often catch a spark from the awakened memories of the immortal soul which lights up our whole being as with the glory of our former home. We can sense that germ of eternal life within us. What confidence we should feel about who we are, the importance of our mission, and our ability to succeed as we reach inside ourselves and excel. Once we have a clear picture of who we are and why we are here, the next step in this journey is to accept our mission and set meaningful goals. I would like to share with you an experience I had on a trip to Asia. Each year we try to provide an Asian Business Study Abroad program for interested Marriott School undergraduate and graduate students. One of the countries we visit is Vietnam. On several occasions, we have been able to arrange a chance for the students to visit with families who are part of a micro-enterprise program in the area of Ho Chi Minh City. In the microenterprise program, the women in these families are given small loans beginning at less than $50. They use this money to start up a business that they can develop and grow to help support their families. Some women weave mats. Some weave hammocks. Others raise chickens, ducks, or even small pigs. No matter what business these women were starting, we found they set similar goals for the use of their profits. The first goal was always to guarantee the necessities of life, such as food and clothing, for their beautiful children. The next goal was to replace the troublesome thatched roofs of their homes with metal roofs to keep out the moisture and the bugs that lodged in the thatch. The next goal as their business grew was to cover the dirt floors of their homes with tile. And finally, when they were really doing well, they would buy a nice bed to replace the customary sleeping mats and add indoor plumbing. These goals were very important to them and followed this predictable pattern. Although we are able to establish goals at a much different economic level and focus farther into the future, we still sometimes stop short of making our goals part of an eternal plan. I am a list maker, and each weekend I create a list of tasks that I want to accomplish during the weekend or the week ahead. This is one of my lists. Do the wash, clean out the refrigerator, plan Sunday dinner, groceries, work out, Birthday present, work on devotional talk, pay bills, plant flower pots, clean out the left side of the garage, go to the bank, start my Release Society lesson, get the oil changed, clean out dresser drawers, and clean off the patio. As I review this list, I see two major problems. The first one is that the list of goals is not realistic. I never get everything done. In fact, clean out the garage has been on the list for six months. <laughs> I always leave it until last and never get to it. It isn't because this is not an important item. In fact, throughout the winter, either my husband Glenn or I, mostly Glenn, have had to park our car outside because there's no room to get our two cars in our two-car garage. (laughs) Obviously, I need to develop some strategy other than putting this on my weekly list. The second problem with my list is these are not meaningful goals. And even if I accomplish them, I am no further ahead a week from now than I am presently. Where on my list are things I need to do to follow the admonition given by Elder James M. Dunn in April Conference? Our earthly sojourn is part of a divine plan of happiness designed by God which beckons us to live by faith, to gain mortal experiences, and to become qualified through obedience and the power of the Atonement to return to His presence forever. Clearly, my to-do list needs to start with important things like checking in with a sick neighbor, a temple session, and my planned study of the scriptures. Then I can add the mundane tasks of my life as things to do next. Spring-summer semester, I'm teaching a class we call our Management Suite class. That may seem like a strange name for a class, But the definition of a suite is a set of things having a certain dependence upon each other and intended to go or be used together. The suite class is actually a combined curriculum of religion and business, the spiritual and the secular. These subjects are intended to be used together. To us, this is one of the most important classes in our business curriculum— some of the topics we cover are pride and the economic cycle, work, family, and church, moral leadership, personal integrity, and career planning. Each one of these topics and the many others we cover has application to the goals we set in our spiritual, personal, and professional lives. At the beginning of spring classes, I ask the students to set a goal to pursue during the spring-summer term. I would like to share some of these goals with you, and let you compare them to the Vietnam goals or my original to-do list. Some of the students set very practical goals and some set more eternal goals, but I'm very impressed with the direction the students have chosen. Here are some examples. I have planned to spend more time with my wife. I believe that if we dedicate time sharing our testimonies and thoughts about life together on a daily basis, we will grow closer together And implement celestial attributes in our marriage. There is no point in trying to gain mortal accomplishments if I neglect the person most important in my life. Another student said, My number one focus this semester is to dedicate and set aside time for those I interact with. I want to make sure I can be there for those I care about. Another, my personal goal is to choose each and every day. To actively be the person I sincerely want to be. Every day I want to choose to do my best and be the most Christ like person I can be. The student included with this goal some daily goals to help him achieve this broader one. Another goal was get a job that creates opportunities for others. One was work on becoming a more effective leader. And the last one, prepare our home with the Spirit of the Lord for the arrival of our little boy. I want to do this so that he may be raised with all of the blessings of the gospel and understand them. Elder Dunn again instructed us when he said, Life is short. It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanishes the way. In the precious time that we have in mortality there are many things to be done. Some of these things are more important than others, and we must make wise decisions. Some things are obviously wrong. Some are good, but some are vital if we are to meet the expectations of our Father. End of quote. We worry about choosing between right and wrong, but many of our more difficult decisions involve choosing between right and right. Conscious planning must be directed toward eternal issues. We need to look at our goals and wisely choose how we direct our time and energy. The next problem we run into is even though we have set good goals and begin to pursue them, we often get sidetracked. Teaching and working with business students in the Marriott School has given me some insights as I watch these students. Unfortunately, I have met with some who have been sidetracked along the way and end up struggling academically, physically, or emotionally. The original goal for some was to obtain strong business skills that would qualify them for a promising career with a healthy salary to provide for their families. However, the temptation to begin using those skills partway through their schooling results in more and more hours of part-time and full-time work and less and less time to spend on classwork. The additional money from that $10-an-hour job has suddenly stymied their progress toward the long-term career they are seeking. They have lost sight of the original goal. Some other students I have worked with have lost the courage and confidence to continue the fight. They came to BYU carefree and with few responsibilities. Now they are married, have a child, have a part-time job, and feel the weight of the world on their shoulders. The goals ahead seem monumental. I think at times we all feel that pressure and want to give up, at least for a while. Often I find for myself that my prayer from the cellar roof has changed to, I faithfully try to do what is right, but why is it such a struggle? Under these circumstances, I often turn to one of my favorite scriptures, Joshua one nine, where the Lord speaks to Joshua and says, Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. If we can just remember these words, the Spirit behind them can help us dig a little deeper, look a little harder for solutions to our struggles. If we are working to be obedient and are striving toward worthy goals, the Lord will be with us and give us strength. He has promised us in Doctrine and Covenants 90, Seek diligently, pray always, and be believing, and all things shall work together for your good. When troubles come that make us want to quit, we need the courage to remember we know who we are and why we are here. We also know that we have prayerfully set goals that are heading us in the right direction. We should not fear, and we must not give up. The character and courage that has brought us this far is still there. There are solutions, and we just need to find them. We may need a tree to climb or a roof to scale to improve our vantage point, but success is possible. This brings me to my fourth and final point. Struggles become easier if we make life a team sport. I have often wondered what motivated the Savior to come forth in the Council of Heaven and offer Himself as a sacrifice for us. Since it was not for personal glory, it must have been for love—the type of love that we can only begin to imagine as we experience love for spouses, parents, and children. I would like to go back to one of the student goals that I read earlier. My number 1 focus this semester is to dedicate and set aside time for those I interact with. I want to make sure I can be there for those I care about. Through my coaching experiences, I have learned that athletes perform at a higher level as part of a team than they do when focusing on their individual accomplishments. While coaching swimming, I was always surprised that during the season, The best times that the swimmers recorded were when they were part of a relay team instead of when they were swimming an individual event. If you want to perform at your best level, become part of a team. That team can be a team of two or a team of more. There are many around you to seek out as teammates. One of my favorite authors is the Jewish writer Kaim Potok, In his book, The Chosen, there is a discussion between the main character, a young man, Reuven, and his father. The father says, Reuven, listen to me. The Talmud says that a person should do two things for himself. One is to acquire a teacher. Do you remember the other? Choose a friend, said Reuven. You know what a friend is, Reuven? A Greek philosopher said that two people who are true friends are like two bodies with one soul. When Glenn and I were first married and starting our family, I found a very dear friend who was in the same position I was. We would talk on the phone each morning as we did our breakfast dishes. We would talk about the wonderful things in our lives and our daily struggles. We could always help each other when things got tough. Even though I moved away from that neighborhood and our lives became separated, every time we see each other it is like we just talked yesterday, and we can share and support just as before. We are still like one soul. Here on this campus there are many opportunities to find a teacher and a friend. I have never been at a university where the faculty is so willing to mentor and counsel students. When I was in the MBA program here at BYU, I relished the opportunity to become good friends with my professors. Fortunately, I've had the opportunity to return to the Marriott School as a colleague of these wonderful people. I am thankful that I had the chance to begin these relationships while I was a student. It is easy for me now to tell a business student to take a certain class because I know that faculty member can change a person's life. In addition to finding a teacher, take advantage of the chance you have to build lasting friendships. This is such a short period of time, even though it may seem to go on forever. Part of the value of being at BYU is the wonderful people you associate with. You also do not know how or why, at some time in the future, you might play an important role in each other's lives. Sometimes, when it seems that you are most alone, you discover a wonderful friend who is there to support you. Last year, at about this time, we lost a son. I was in Beijing, China at the time I was notified of his death. The following days, filled with shock and disbelief, are still very vague to me as my daughter Shannon and I struggled to get home. We flew into Salt Lake where we joined the rest of the family— and then flew out the next morning to New York for the funeral service. Separated from friends and other support, our immediate family clung together during those dark days. As we returned to Salt Lake and pulled into the driveway of our home, the first thing I saw was that all of my flower pots had been planted with beautiful blooming flowers, and flowering baskets were hanging from our arbor. Our neighbors had gotten together and planted along the entryway to our home. More than the beauty it presented, I felt a deep connection with those wonderful people who had worried and cared about us. This was the way they had expressed their love. Those flowers were beautiful for the entire summer and were a constant reminder that we were not alone. As we look to those who love us, remember the most important team member we can have is Christ. He is always there to be a companion and support for us. Christ has promised us that he will be with us. Draw near unto me, and I will draw near unto you. Seek me diligently, and ye shall find me. Ask, and ye shall receive. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. The words and music of the hymn, Be Thou Humble, written by Greciaroli, can be a great consolation as it reminds us that we are not alone at any time, no matter how great our struggle. Be thou humble in thy weakness, and the Lord thy God shall lead thee, shall lead thee by the hand, and give thee answer to thy prayers. Be thou humble in thy pleading, and the Lord thy God shall bless thee shall bless thee with a sweet and calm assurance that he cares. Let us remember, from the vantage point of a roof and a tall tree, our perspective is to look as far as forever and set goals that will not just help us through the week, but will lead us on into eternity. Focus on who you are, because there are no losing streaks that cannot be overcome if there is a glimpse of where you came from and a vast panorama of where you are going. Make sure your to-do list starts with eternal goals first and leave cleaning the garage to last. Most of all, do not be afraid. You can always find a friend. Always reach out that hand so the Lord can lead you. I pray that each of us will be led together to a future, bright ahead, with a sweet and calm assurance that we all care for each other and seek to understand the daily blessings of the gospel. This I say in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.
0: You've been listening to Finding Center. Join us every weekday for an hour of inspiration and spiritual focus. Today's theme was God's Eternal Game Plan with thoughts from E.J. Cafaro and Joan W. Young. Find links to the full text, audio, and video of these addresses at byuradio.org findingcenter. Finding Center is a production of BYU Broadcasting.